We have just listened to Elder Joseph Anderson of the First Quorum of the Seventy. President Benson has invited me to say a few words on this occasion at this time in the program. As I came into the tabernacle this evening, I could see in a moment that the priesthood of God had filled the tabernacle to overflowing, had entered into the assembly hall south of the tabernacle, and filled buildings ranging in size from the gigantic Marriott Center at Brigham Young University to the smallest hall situated many miles distant from Salt Lake City. I realize, brethren of the priesthood, that you have assembled to be edified, to be uplifted, to be inspired. And as I contemplate my responsibility in this regard, only one word describes it. It comes from the vocabulary of my nine-year-old granddaughter, and that word is awesome. I pray for the help of our Heavenly Father, for your faith, and for that noble attribute of courage. For I know, brethren, that courage counts. I learned this to my satisfaction some 31 years ago. I was serving as a bishop. We were holding our state conference in the assembly hall to the south. President Joseph Fielding Smith was our visitor, then president of the Council of the Twelve. Our state presidency was to be reorganized that day. The Aaronic Priesthood provided the music in a special Aaronic Priesthood chorus. I suppose Aaronic Priesthood choruses today are very much like Aaronic Priesthood choruses were then, comprised of the Stake Aaronic Priesthood Committee, all bishops in the stake, all bishops' counselors, all advisors to Aaronic Priesthood quorums, and as many deacons, teachers, and priests as you could rope and hold to sing in a chorus for a morning session of stake conference. We had just completed singing our first number when President Smith stepped to the pulpit and read the names of the new stake presidency. I'm convinced that the other two brethren in the presidency knew in advance of their appointment. I did not. The first I knew of my appointment as a member of the stake presidency was when President Smith announced to the people my name. He then said, if Brother Monson will accept this appointment, we'll hear from him now. I left the lofty position in the choir seats of the assembly hall and made my way to the pulpit. As I stood there, there flowed through my mind the title of the song our Aaronic Priesthood Chorus had just rendered. It had to do with the word of wisdom, and the title was, Have Courage, My Boy, to Say No. <laughs> I used as my theme that morning, have courage, my boy, to say yes. Brethren, as we journey along through life, our journey is not undertaken on a freeway, devoid of obstacles and pitfalls and snares. Our journey is more 
like a pathway with forks and turnings, constant decisions to make. To make those decisions wisely, brethren, we must have the courage to say yes, the courage to say no, for the decisions we make will surely determine our destiny. Courage is a constant requirement, ever needed. We see it frequently on the battlefields of war, and some of the deeds are recorded on the printed pages of books or recorded on rolls of film. Some are even recorded indelibly impressed on the human heart. One account of courage from the military was written by a young infantryman. He was wearing the gray uniform of the Confederacy in the great American Civil War. He, in his own words, described the courage of his general. He said, at a critical point in the battle, General Jeb Stuart leaped his horse over the breastworks near my company. He made his way to the center of the brigade. The men were cheering wildly. And then General Stuart said to us, pointing to the enemy, Forward, men, forward. Just follow me. The men were wild with enthusiasm. Their hearts were filled with courage and resolution. They overflowed the breastworks like a raging torrent and followed General Stuart, and the objective was taken and held. Many centuries before that time, and far distant from America, another leader issued this same invitation, follow me. He was not a general of war, rather he was the prince of peace, the Son of God, the Holy One of Israel. Those who had the courage to follow him then, and those who have the courage to follow him now, win a victory far more significant and with consequences more everlasting than we could imagine. But courage is constantly required. The Holy Scriptures are replete with evidences of courage. One I like and admire is the courage of Joseph, son of Jacob, the same who was sold into Egypt. Remember when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife and she attempted to seduce him? Do you remember his words, How can I do this great wickedness? and sin against God, and he hearkened not unto her and got out. I heard a father give this same advice to his son in our day. He said, Son, if you ever find yourself where you shouldn't ought to be, get out. That's good advice for boys. It's good advice for fathers of boys. If you ever find yourself where you shouldn't ought to be, get out. I think of the courage of Daniel. Daniel, who was ordered to cease praying to his God under threat of death. He didn't knuckle under, but he trusted in God with all his heart. And he prayed to God. 
and our Heavenly Father protected and watched over him. He had courage. I think of the courage of Abinadi from the Book of Mormon, who was willing to offer his life rather than to deny the truth. And who can help but thrill to the courage of the 2,000 stripling sons of Helaman? They had the courage to obey their parents, the courage to remain true and chaste. Maybe all of them were inspired by the courage of Moroni, who endured in righteousness unto the end. And I kind of think that each one knew something about the words of Moses, who said, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, for the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee, he will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. He did not fail them, he will not fail us. He did not forsake them, he will not forsake us. I think it was this knowledge that gave Columbus, the mighty explorer, the courage day after day as he sailed the Atlantic to write in his ship's log, This day we sailed on. Perhaps it was this knowledge that prompted the Prophet Joseph to declare, I am going like a lamb to the slaughter, but I am calm as a summer morning. It is this knowledge that will provide you and me the courage for our day, for our time, and for our lives. Oh, of course we'll have fear. We'll face ridicule. It has always been so, and it will ever be so. Brethren of the priesthood of God, let's have the courage to defy the consensus. Let's have the courage to stand for principle. Courage, not compromise, brings forth the smile of God's approval. And courage is a living and an attractive virtue when it is regarded not only as a willingness to die manfully, but the ability and the desire to live decently. A moral coward is one who is afraid to do that which he knows is right because someone else might laugh or ridicule. Let us remember that all men have their fears, but those who face them with dignity have courage as well. May I share with you from my personal chronology of courage, two brief examples, one from the military, one from missionary service. Like you, I was once 17, going on 18. The great World War II was in progress at that time. And in the closing months of that war, I enlisted in the United States Navy. I had never been away from home before. In the Navy, I saw acts of courage and deeds of valor. But I remember one simple act of courage that has stayed with me through the years. It was personified by a young seaman, not of our faith, who every night, the only one of 250 men in the company, would kneel down by the side of his bunk 
and amidst the mocking and the laughter of some shipmates, would offer his prayer to his Heavenly Father aloud on bended knee. He never faltered. He never failed. He had courage, and I remember that courage. Missionary work has always called for courage. And when I think of a courageous missionary, a young man with whom I've become well acquainted comes to mind. His name is Randall Ellsworth. Years ago, as a missionary in Guatemala, he was severely injured by that tremendous earthquake that struck that nation. A huge beam was hurled down, rendering his legs paralyzed and damaging his kidneys. His life was despaired of. He was airlifted for emergency help at Panama City, and then to Maryland at his home. He entered a hospital for that long period of therapy and recuperation. Randall Ellsworth was somewhat of a national hero. He was the only American injured in the quake, which took 18,000 lives. Through the miracle of television, Sister Monson and I watched an interview between a newscaster and Randall Ellsworth. The newscaster said, Randall, you are the only American who was injured in the great earthquake. I note that you are unable to walk. Do you think you will ever walk again? I thought to myself, what a cruel question. And then Randall said, the doctors think I won't walk again, but I feel I will. Then the newscaster, do you think you will ever complete your mission? Oh, many people think not, but I will. Finally, you've received a letter, Randall, from the President of the United States. What do you think of that letter? Oh, I'm very grateful, he said, to receive such a letter. But I also received a letter from the President of my Church, and with him praying for me, and with the prayers of my family, my mission president, my fellow missionaries, I'll walk again, and I'll return to Guatemala to complete my mission. I thought, what courage! Then the endless weeks of therapy, 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 punctuated by pain, 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 and exemplified by courage, courage, courage. Then finally, a little sensation in his toes. Then eventually, a little more sensation in his feet and his legs. At long last, Randall Ellsworth could stand. And after more therapy and more courage, with the help of two canes, he walked aboard the plane that took him back to the people he loved and to the land he cherished. He left behind a trail of doubters and those who were skeptics, but he also left behind hundreds who were witnesses of the miracle of God and the power of faith and the example of courage. But Randall Ellsworth's test was not yet over. When he was in Guatemala meeting one day with his mission president, the president said to him, Elder Ellsworth, you've been the recipient of a miracle. If one, why not two? You surely don't want to go through life leaning on those two canes. If you've got the faith 
And if you have the courage, why don't you put those canes on my desk and walk? There was a long pause. Silence prevailed in the room. And then the sound of one cane on the table, then the sound of the second cane, and a young missionary turned and walked from the room, never again to use the hated canes. Now some years have gone by. Randall Ellsworth is married in the temple. He and his sweet wife have two children. And just a few months ago, I received a letter which reminded me of him. Let me share it with you tonight. The President and Directors of Georgetown University, the Faculty of Medicine, and the Class of 1986 announced the commencement exercises of Georgetown University School of Medicine, and then the date is given. Our missionary, Randall Ellsworth, received his Doctor of Medicine degree. More study, more pain, more faith, more courage. He paid the price. He won the victory. My dear brethren, my prayer tonight is that every one of us will have courage, that we may have courage at the crossroads, courage for the conflict, courage to say no, courage to say yes. For I testify, testify from the bottom of my heart and from the conviction of my soul that courage counts. May we have it. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The choir and congregation will now join in singing High on the Mountain Top, following which President Gordon B. Hinckley, first counselor in the First Presidency, will speak to us. <laughs> 